Welcome to The Gold Report. I'm Dr. Simone Gold, and I'm joined by my co-host, April Moss. Thank you so much to our generous subscribers, donors, and supporters who make this show possible. Please click like, share, and sign up to get the report delivered to your inbox. Now, for the news of the day. Well, we have a lot to go over today. First off this week, Pfizer takes a big loss from their reduced use COVID-19 injections. Um, This is a big, a big deal and a big win for all of us who have been um, sounding the alarm on these injections for quite some time. And a German lawyer who has boldly taken a stand for medical freedom, Reiner Fulmich, has been arrested and flown back to Germany uh, from Mexico. Fulmich was preparing for Nuremberg 2.0. O trials and is considered a hero to many. Then National News FBI Director Christopher Wray warns Americans of a spike in domestic threats linked to the Israel-Hamas war. President Trump is put on a partial gag order by an immigrant judge on Tuesday for the criminal trial on election interference. The United States has sent $2 billion to Afghanistan under the humanitarian aid banner. Meanwhile, Afghanistan, which is being controlled by the Taliban, is still murdering Christians. Rand Paul announces legislation to stop that funding to Taliban-controlled Afghanistan. Senator Marco Rubio announces his intention to introduce legislation aimed at forcing the Biden administration to cancel visas for foreign nationals who endorse or espouse terrorist activity. And House GOP members introduce plans to create a bill to block Palestinian refugees from entering the U.S. General Michael Eric Carrilla, commander of U.S. Central Command, lands in Israel to conduct high-level meetings with Israel's military leadership. He was also joined by President Joe Biden as well. U.S. Berkeley law professor writes an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal urging firms to not hire anti-Semitic students. Actress Suzanne Summers passes away from breast cancer one day before her 77th birthday. And in Michigan, in Rochester, Michigan, protests outside of Ascension Providence Hospital by family members of victims who were killed by remdesivir and deadly hospital protocols organized by Lori Madigan, the wife of high school football coach Jim Madigan. That all happened this past week. And in world news, anti-Israel protests erupted across America on college campuses, but you might be surprised to find out who funds them. Dr. Gold, we're going to get into all of these details. Uh, And first, you know, we want to talk about this Pfizer story that they are just burning through cash, having to revamp their spending for next year and next quarter. Right. So uh, if you've been asleep at the wheel for the last three or four years, you wouldn't have noticed, but everyone else who's awake would have noticed that Pfizer and Moderna just made multiple billions of dollars uh, really each quarter that they were selling these COVID shots. We doctors knew that they were not safe or effective, uh, but billions and billions of dollars flowed into Pfizer and Moderna. Uh, Just as a side note, even though the story is about Pfizer, Moderna actually had 11 years, 44 straight quarters of losses until the spring of 21 when it rolled out its version of the COVID shot. And then all of a sudden it was a lucrative company. And there's a lot of those profit and royalties going back to the NIH and a lot of swirling, you know, story about that going back to Fauci himself. But turning back to Pfizer, Pfizer's made billions and billions of dollars and they're counting on Americans to purchase booster shots and to keep boosting, uh, boosting themselves. But, you know, I think people can say the jig is up. I mean, Americans are voting with their feet. I think only about 2% of Americans are choosing to get the latest boosters. So this is really cut into Pfizer's profitability. And Albert Borla, who is the CEO of Pfizer, has actually said that he's really looking to China, both for um, scientific information and also as patient population. So I guess, uh, you know, this this is, you know, follow the money and um, thank God that Americans at least have enough free press to have gotten the memo that these shots are neither safe nor effective. And we feel sorry for people across the world who are still being censored, propagandized, and essentially forced to take these shots. Yeah, it's terrible. And Vigilant Fox did a great job on this report. He talks more about, uh, you know, just the difference in what Pfizer is doing, how they're going to be allocating their resources, kind of moving away from these COVID shots and into different um 
you know, future yeah. sort of treatments, right? So uh, we will have that linked below as well for people to check out that article from Vigilant Fox. And then I know the story is near and dear to your heart as it is to many watching who have been in this medical freedom movement with Dr. Simone Gold, and that is German lawyer Reiner Fjolmik, uh being held, being arrested. So let's let's talk about that. I know that that's yeah. very concerning. So, you know, prior to the last few years, if I was to hear the news or read the newspaper and discover that somebody had been arrested, you know, my knee-jerk reaction is, well, they must have done something. I no longer have that knee-jerk reaction for multiple reasons, one of which is that I myself was arrested on what turned out to be a technical misdemeanor, right? And I was raided by a SWAT team. They had 12 uh, huge weapons pointed right at my chest. They could have easily killed me. That's the truth. Broke my door down, batting ram. You know, all laws went out the window. Even if you think I had done something wrong, you don't send a SWAT team. There's regulations and rules about when you use a SWAT team. So I am living witness to the fact that our government has weaponized the judicial process against ordinary citizens. So I'm saying that when I now hear of somebody getting arrested, my knee-jerk reaction is that they're not guilty, which is a real sea change for me. And I actually urge a lot of people listening to consider the possibility that when you hear someone's arrested, not to immediately think they're guilty. And that that is indeed a change in your own perception of the world. And I'm, I'm sorry to say that. I have no special insight into what happened from a factual basis. But that knee-jerk reaction that someone is guilty, I no longer have that. I would urge you not to have that either. What I can say for certain is that Reiner Fulmick had a really uh, excellent quality of life prior to the COVID years. He was one of the most famous lawyers, really, certainly in Europe, the world. He's barred in the state of California. He lives primarily in Germany, I understand. And he, uh, of course, is a member of the bar in Germany as well. And he had brought massive class action lawsuits against Volkswagen and against Deutsche Bank, which he won, which is no easy feat. To bring complex class action litigation requires a tremendous intellect and tremendous level of skill. And he was really a, a darling of the media and a darling of the people. And he saw what was going on during the COVID years, the propaganda, the censorship, and he was offended. And he did what he could through the system. And then really the system didn't allow him to really put these people on, on trial. So he he kind of did um, what I might say is like a mock trial process to point out the, the crimes that really had been committed. And if only had the power to arrest the people, you know, that's what it would have looked like. So, so he is, is well known uh, in the world for doing that. And that has to be considered when you consider the fact, do we really think this man is guilty of a crime? He is certainly the per one of the one of a top 10 people across the world that has fought really hard against special financial and political interests. So I would uh, reserve judgment and and we wish him well and we hope that the authorities are treating him properly. So just to bring some context too to this, um, he was in Mexico traveling with his wife and they had lost their passports. Now, whether they lost them, whether they were stolen, right? We don't we don't know those details yet. Some people were, are speculating. We're not here to speculate on the show, but just to say that um, he had to go to the embassy in Tijuana. And when he arrived there to get his passport credentials, they promptly you know, detained him, arrested him, put him on a flight back to Germany. We haven't heard an update. I think it's been a couple of days since I've heard any sort of update on what's going on. And the exact charges of this remain unclear as of this uh, taping of this show. So please be in prayer for Reiner and his family. It's certainly scary times. Right. And again, I we should only deal in facts, but I would submit to you that I don't think it's very likely that an esteemed attorney as Reiner Fulmick would misplace his passport. Not only his, but him, his and his wife's. Yes, yeah. exactly. It's definitely um, concerning. Yes. Um, and then on national news, we're talking about Director Ray. He was quoted as saying, in this heightened environment, there's no question we're seeing an increase in reported threats, and we have to be on the lookout, especially for lone actors who may take inspiration from recent events to commit violence of their own. So this, of course, is all in response to Hamas uh, and the horrendous attack on the people of Israel. And people in America are incredibly alarmed that there are thousands and thousands, millions of people now that we don't know where they are and could be sleeper cells all across this country. 
I just I want to point out something about what you just said, uh, just because it's it's just a little sore point with me. I believe the term lone wolf uh, first started mm-hmm. being used under Obama. Um, I, I don't really believe there's so much of this kind of violence as really lone wolf. There, it, there are occasions, mm-hmm. but to the extent that we're going to see terrorism in our nation, I don't think it's lone wolf. I think that was a political phrase that's used to distract the people from the fact that they're that we've allowed in millions and millions of people without any documentation whatsoever. Um, there was a silver lining in that story. Uh, maybe they'll stop calling out moms and dads at school board meetings as domestic terrorists. Maybe they'll actually get their right. hands on some actual terrorists. Right. <laughs> um, and then also just a really egregious thing this week with District Judge Tanya Chutkin coming after President Trump, putting him on a partial gag order this week. Everyone needs to understand the significance of this. This is the election interference criminal trial that he is under. This is in addition to all the other cases they've brought against him. So the amount that this man is enduring uh, by this corrupt judicial system is incredible. But President Trump gave some remarks after uh, Judge Chutkin's response. This is a rigged trial. This is a rigged situation. And our country can't stand these things. And the people of our country understand it. We're being railroaded. And I have other trials we're being railroaded. You saw yesterday when they take away my right to speak. I won't be able to speak like I'm speaking to you. And I'm not saying anything wrong. I'm saying the truth. I won't be able to do this with that trial. Because the judge, which of course we're appealing, because the judge said basically I don't have a right to speak. And I'm, a, I'm the number one candidate leading the Republicans by 55 or 60 points. This is a railroading. It's all coming out of the Department of Justice. It's all set up by Biden and his thugs that he's surrounded with to try and sneak out an election victory that he's not entitled to win because he's been the worst president in the history of our country. Thank you very much. You know, April, this is very alarming stuff. You know, we have a First Amendment, which is the right to free speech. And it's not just words. It's not just, you know, words scribbled on the Constitution written, you know, 260 years ago at this point. I forget exactly how many, pardon me, my math. But it's first for a reason. You know, when you start suppressing speech, then all sorts of negative effects start occurring. Mm -hmm. We need, whether you agree with anyone's particular point of view, you should vehemently disagree with a judge, a single person, being able to say that another person simply can't speak on a subject. This is extraordinarily dangerous. And uh, it's also typically used on one political party, not on both parties, which makes it more dangerous. But we have a judiciary that I think has just run amok, like they're just running wild. Well, and not only that, but I do think it's important to point out that she she was born in Jamaica, so she's not even American-born citizen. And so there is this, you know, underlying, I guess it's just there that we feel, Americans feel like, listen, you didn't grow up here. You weren't born here. And, you know, it doesn't seem like you really respect our constitution either. She, so she's a federal judge. She has to obey the Constitution. Right. <laughs> like, it's that simple. But, but see how she twists things. This is what she said, and I quote, First Amendment protections yield to the administration of justice and to the protection of witnesses. So your First Amendment rights yield to the DOJ. I mean, That's what it says. and so and, and from what President Trump was saying is, you know, I'm here I am. I'm running for office. I'm the number one candidate for the Republican Party. And I have a gag order that's going to stop me from criticizing the DOJ. Right. It's incredible. And by the way, I I was not subjected to a gag order, but I was very, very careful about what I said mm-hmm. because I didn't want to come under the judiciary again. So it's not just judges that are doing this. Other people watch what's mm-hmm. happening and they themselves censor themselves. It's unbelievably dangerous. The way I'm glad you quoted exactly mm-hmm. what she said. The First Amendment yields to nothing except what we've already outlined um, as a nation, what limits are to the First Amendment. So if there's a clear and present danger, right, you're not allowed to yell fire in a crowded movie theater. You're also not allowed to have a specific credible threat against a specific person. So you're not allowed to say, you know, I want to kill XYZ person who's right over there on the corner right there, can't kill that. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. There are clear 
um, guidelines from the Supreme Court on the limits. There are certain things you can't do related to child pornography, for example. So there are some limits on free speech, but there are clear examples. This judge is violating it right and left. Yep. And then, you know, our other story was about what's going on in Afghanistan uh, and how the United States has given an additional $2 billion. And and this article that we're putting for everyone to check out, please read it because it talks about how they do this under humanitarian aid. Um, and that's how this process kind of, you know, we don't think about it. We don't realize how much we're funding these terrorist countries. But, um, you know, the whole purpose, you know, it says this article um, that we've posted here says, what was the purpose of Biden's pullout from Afghanistan again? So we could send them money without any inconvenient <laughs> terrorist attacks getting in the way. And, you know, the article further goes on to talk about the USAID humanitarian partners that, you know, receive our money. We should be giving no money, yeah. none whatsoever. And the reason is because the Taliban is in charge of there. The Taliban is, gosh, I hate to categorize and rank terrorists as people, but I think they're probably perhaps, they're certainly equal to Hamas and perhaps worse. Right. You know, there was a whole generation of women that grew up in Afghanistan that mm -hmm. had you know, pretty good rights. And then it was all stripped away very, very rapidly again when the Taliban came back. And we are funding these people. Yep. And of course, I'm glad you pointed out that they murder Christians. You know, it's funny. I, Americans are really such good-hearted people and our compassion and our good-hearted nature is often used against us. And it's because we're quite naive about human nature. Mm -hmm. So we see a, a, a terrible situation and our immediate instinct is to help. So we hear of an earthquake and we start writing the checks and we start mm -hmm. donating money. And then we're obviously doing that at a national level. So I, I don't know if the earthquake is real, it's manufactured. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. But what I do know is that Americans have to stop being so naive about world affairs, yes. right? The Taliban is in charge in Afghanistan. They are oppressive and horrific to women, beyond horrific. You know, child brides age 12 are married off to men who are 55. You know, we know this kind of stuff happens and they murder Christians and we need mm -hmm. to stop funding this. Yep, absolutely. Um we had two Republican lawmakers that are moving to introduce legislation that would prohibit the United States from accepting potential Palestinian refugees being displaced. Uh, we saw this happen years ago when we had the big rush of people coming in after 9-11. So this is really good news. Representatives Tom Tiffany from Wisconsin and Andy Ogles from Tennessee will introduce the Guaranteeing Aggressors Zero Admission Act or the Gaza Act. And that aims to prevent the Biden administration from granting visas to holders of Palestinian passports, according to the New York Post this past Saturday. Yeah, I would like to go back to the days when you couldn't get citizenship in America unless you actually loved this nation. You know, the the we have the gift of Ilan Omar, right? So who who came in under you know compassionate reasons about the war in Somalia? Of course, the war in Somalia was horrific. Of course, it was. But did we like Ilan Omar here, who clearly hates this nation? Right. So I'm glad to see this action. Yeah. Absolutely. And I want to say, too, the bill would also prohibit the Department of Homeland Security from allowing Palestinians into the country through its parole program. There's so many loopholes in all of these programs. So um, Senator Marco Rubio also it plans to introduce legis legislation that's aimed at forcing the Biden administration to cancel visas for foreign nationals who endorse or espouse terrorist activity. So we hope that he follows through on those things. It's, you know, all very concerning. Right. I'm glad to see our politicians paying attention and let's mm -hmm. follow those bills and see if they actually make their way through and they get signed into law. Yep. Um, I'm curious your comments with CENTCOM Commander General Eric Carrilla making an unannounced visit to Tel Aviv on Tuesday, one day before President Joe Biden landed in Israel. Um, he said, and I quote, I'm here to ensure that Israel has what it needs to defend itself and in particular focused on avoiding other parties expanding the conflict and um you know, Biden is expected to travel to Amman, where he will be hosted by the King of Jordan and meet with Egyptian President Abdel Fattah el-Sisi and Palestinian Authority President Mahmoud Abbas. What are your thoughts on this as we start to see the United States taking a more active role? Right. So Iran is pulling the strings in the Middle East, and it's really important that Iran does not jump into this conflict. I do think that Israel and perhaps America, I don't, again, I don't have special insight, um, are doing a good job at keeping Iran at bay. And I hope that that's what he was referring to. Hamas by itself is not a strong organization. It is something that Israel can manage militarily. As I said multiple times, our job as Americans is to let Israel do what needs to be done 
and not permit this to become a wider conflict. It doesn't need to become a wider conflict. Um, there are many mysteries as to how this happened, why this happened, but going forward, we absolutely have to limit this militarily. Um, so I'm glad for what I'm hearing and we hope it stays that way and that Iran does not get a, a toehold in this conflict. I'm curious, and you and I have not talked about this before, but I'd like your analysis on this because what I'm seeing a lot of people ask online or even start to say online is that, and again, this is what they're saying, and I just want your perspective on this, is that Israel, in effect, created Hamas by by funding, uh, through fun- funding. Have you heard people say this online, and what would your response be? You know, the the anti-Jewish, anti-Zionist, anti-Israel, anti-Semitic streak is very deep within human nature. I, I don't know why, but it seems like that's kind of how God ordained things should be. Uh, Israel did not create Hamas. That is just ludicrous. Uh, let's go over the history a little bit. Hamas put itself out there as a, quote, political party. The other political party, I, I think, was Fatah, um, which I, I, which was a little bit less extreme. Back in the early 2000s, there was a lot of suicide bombings that were coming kind of from like the Gaza area and other places by Muslims against Jews in Israel. Um, Israel decided to pull out of Gaza completely, unitarily, with no promise of anything from the Palestinians. It actually was shocking. I'm not sure that there is precedent in other nations doing such a thing, where they said, you know what, we can't make peace with you. You're not an honest broker on the other side. We're just going to leave this area and let you self-govern. This was after four peace treaties that Israel attempted to enter into with the Palestinians. The most recent prior to that was in the year 2000, Bill Clinton, um, the Prime Minister of Israel, Ehud Barak, I think, Yasser Arafat, all met at Camp David for two weeks. And in that meeting where Bill Clinton really pressured Israel essentially to give in, they gave the Palestinian Authority essentially everything. They gave them most of the West Bank. They gave them all of Gaza. They gave them East Jerusalem almost everything. And Yasser Arafat, the president of, of the PLO, essentially the precursor to PA, turned down everything. Bill Clinton said, in 14 days, Arafat said no to everything. So when the, that didn't really occur, the Israelis kept being subjected to terrorist suicide bombings. And in 2005, they decided to leave Gaza completely. So since 2005, the Palestinians have been managing themselves. It's not been run by uh by Israel. There's a demilitarized zone and Israel is standing at the border. But since 2005, Palestinians are in charge of what's going on. So I don't know if it's anti-Semitism or just plain ignorance that people spelt this. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of hatred in the Muslim world for Jews. But when you talk to ordinary men and women from Gaza, they're happy with Israel. I've seen it and I've talked with them. And the reason is really the only decent paying jobs for Gazans was to go over the border to Israel and they had good jobs in the hospitals and people's homes, et cetera. So they crossed over the border and, and the zone and all of that's gone away. And so, you know, you, of course you feel bad for the people on the ground that are kind of stuck in the middle of this, but mm-hmm. Israel did not create Hamas. Hatred, you know, from, 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 you know, the enmity that exists from Arab to, to Jew is what has created Hamas. Thank you for that analysis. I think that that's um, a really important point that we need to keep aware of. And many people in the West, certainly here in America, have no concept of right. of these things. So thank you for that, Dr. Gold. Very much in line with what we're talking about now, we're seeing on the college campuses this rise in anti-Semitism with the different um, protests that have been uh, going on in the last two weeks. Now, a man by the name of Stephen Solomon is a UC Berkeley law professor, and he also advises the Jewish Law Students Association. Now, he alleged that some of his students at the college promoted hate toward Jews and therefore should not be given jobs. He had a uh, op-ed um, I think it was in the Wall Street Journal. It's linked in our descriptions here of the show. 
But to give more context, more than nine student groups at the school adopted a rule last year that banned pro-Israel speakers at events. And Berkeley's Law Students for Justice in Palestine drafted the bylaw, stating that the organizations would not invite the speakers who have expressed interest and continue to hold views in support of Zionism, the apartheid state of Israel, and the occupation of Palestine. It is so hard to know where to start with debunking the lies, myths, truths. It's just there's so many of them. The fact that there's rampant anti-Semitism on college campuses is maybe a good place to start. It's been building for probably about 20 years. There's a movement called BDS movement, Boycott, Divest, Sanction, and they've really basically taken over college campuses. Every year there's an anti-Israel movement. It's, I think it's in February. Um, I used to live near UCLA and I, I went one year and it's horrific. They portray Israel as oppressing um, its Arabs. The truth is, is that 20% of Israeli citizens are actually Israeli Arabs. There is uh, an Israeli Arab that sits on the Israeli Supreme Court. There's Arab parties in the Knesset, which is like Congress. It's really just an entire myth. It's a public relations uh, kind of nightmare for Israel that was started by people who hate Israel. I am not surprised that the anti-Semitism is robust on college campuses, and I am uh, gratified that it's it's almost limited to the college campuses. Mm -hmm. Like we don't see this people who have normal paying jobs who go about their lives, you know, that are not just sitting in ivory towers and just espousing just theories of things that they don't really understand are not the ones pushing this anti-Semitic agenda. It is almost entirely from universities. I'm sure you knew Harvard and Harvard has been mm -hmm. just horrific. And I have to say, maybe I shouldn't say it on air, but I'm pleased that people are finally saying, don't hire these people. Mm -hmm. You know, anti-Semitism is simple bigotry, hatred, racism. You don't say, I hate black people. You shouldn't say, I hate Jewish people. And this 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 hatred, for some reason, is tolerated on college campuses. Well, Sorry. It's interesting. No, you're, yeah. excellent point. And I want to point out that I'm, I think we're going to explain to our, our audience here exactly why we're seeing a rise in this, because it's these student groups that are actually being funded by terrorist organizations right here on American soil in over 300 uh, campus groups across our nation. Recently, Dan Diker, who's the president of the Jerusalem Center for Public Affairs, joined Mark Levin to discuss the anti-Israel student protests on American college campuses. you got to listen to what he has to say. Dan Diker, thank you for uh, joining us from Israel. Okay, who is behind this? Mark, Hamas has been on campus for decades, and they've been given a free pass by university presidents, university faculty, university administration, and they've been given an endorsement by student groups across campuses, hundreds of campuses across North America. You know, Americans tend to think of Harvard as just the, the, the echelon, the highest level of achievement. I've known for at least 10 or 15 years that it's really a facade. So there are number, I think there was about 30 different student groups, I might be wrong about the number, on Harvard that are ragingly anti-Semitic. So I'm not surprised, as we've just heard, mm -hmm. to hear that they're funded by terrorist organizations. There is so much going on behind the scenes that things are not really as they appear. This is not like an organic movement of, of you know, just uh, American college kids that are just waking up one day and decide to hate Israel. It's, it doesn't make sense. First of all, Israel is a hotbed of innovation and cancer treatment and gay rights and human rights. It would make no sense that the average American college kid would have such antipathy towards Israel. So of course it makes sense that they're being funded by terrorist organizations. Yeah, absolutely concerning. And also I'm seeing, and we don't have uh, a story linked on this, but I'm sure many people have heard about the Islamic schools in Houston, Texas, that are raising up children to literally have hatred in their hearts towards a Let's, lot of other people. Yeah. So again, Americans, we are quite naive as to the role of Islam in the in the Islamic world. We only can compare it to what we know, which is usually Judaism or Christianity, right? So we look at the Bible and, and we think that that's kind of a universal worldview. Well, let me just share a couple of background details, right? So in, in Judaism and Christianity, we have Moses. So Moses was a religious spiritual leader. But as we moved on from that, Judaism and later Christianity divided the roles of leaders. 
So we have always had a division of power. We have spiritual leaders, we have military leaders, we have political leaders, and we know from birth onward that that's the way it should be, that the person who's running the government should not also be running the church, should not also be running um, the, the, the military. We just know that. We think everyone knows that. But it's not true in the Quran. In the Quran, the highest level um, of belief highest honor, yeah. is, is one person runs it all. It's Muhammad, who is a military leader, who is a political leader, who is a religious leader. This is what they aspire to. I'm not even saying it's right or wrong. Obviously, I think it's wrong. I think absolute power corrupts absolutely. Mm-hmm. However, I at least want Americans to be aware that they don't have that division of labor. They don't aspire to the division of labor. It's why people like Ilan Omar are so dangerous. Ilan Omar doesn't believe she represents her constituents in Minnesota. She thinks that that's temporary. It's perfectly legitimate to pretend she's representing them when she's really after the caliphate. A Muslim who believes in the Quran is about building this worldwide caliphate. And it doesn't matter that there's um, nation states. It doesn't matter that there's different religions. It's not part of their worldview. And Americans need to wake up that there's massive difference differences between our religions. Without yeah. saying good or bad, we need leads to acknowledge them. Yep, absolutely right. Um, on a different note... Sad news. Actress Suzanne Summer passed away from breast cancer. Uh, she it was right before her 77th birthday, one day before. She'd been battling with cancer for, I think, two decades. Yeah. Did you, were, were you a big fan? <laughs> I, I, I grew up on Free's Company. Fan. I was a huge <laughs> fan of hers. I, is there anybody who didn't love her? I know. Um, rest in peace, Suzanne Summers. You gave Americans and people across the world a lot of joy, a lot of laughter. And I'm still thinking about Three's Company, how like she <laughs> appeared to play like this ditzy blonde. And it was just charming and delightful and rest in peace. Yeah. And she was really like a health advocate too. She was making like, you she know, was. Good smoothies was. and sharing her recipes and sharing her different um, health food. And, you know, she had to treat her cancer naturally is what she chose to do. And so she really shared her journey with that, with many, many people. I know she blessed a lot of people in her lifetime. So yes, we honor her. I think there's next month will be a memorial for her. And then in Michigan, and this is our last uh, story for the day, but it's near and dear to my heart. um, There was a group of people who have lost their loved ones, their husbands, their fathers, their mothers due to the deadly hospital protocols. uh, Many of them happening right into, I would say, the tail end of 2021 into 2022. And there was a big hospital protest in Rochester, Michigan, led by, spearheaded by Lori Madigan. Her husband was a well-loved football coach in the area. Um, and his some of his players and different people from the community came out to support. Lori was one of the people that called me back right after I blew the whistle on CBS and she called and she said, please help me. They're holding my husband hostage and I, I can't see him. I can't, I can't get in to see him and they won't let him leave. And unfortunately he passed away. We weren't able to get him the help that he needed. Um, but that was, that was a really traumatic time for so many, but we can't forget about those because those hospital protocols are still in place now. This is actually a really, really important story. You know, it's not front page news anymore, but first of all, there's human beings that are living with the repercussions of these evil policy decisions. So the hospitals were financially incentivized to use a drug called remdesivir. Just so you know, remdesivir, doctors nickname it, run, death is near. Run, death is near. Remdesivir is a failed Ebola drug. So Ebola is a virus that has a very high mortality rate. I think it was over 35%. And so when there was a bit of an Ebola scare, we tested lots of drugs. One of them was remdesivir. And remdesivir was so bad, so dangerous, that it was determined that we should not use it, even for this highly lethal Ebola disease. Mm -hmm. So it would tell you this is not acceptable under any circumstances. And then all of a sudden, our government rolls it out for SARS-2, which according to the CDC, of under age 70, you had a 99.95% chance of surviving with no treatment whatsoever. And even after age 70, it was around the 95th percentile. So why are we rolling out a deadly, a, a drug that we've acknowledged is deadly and dangerous for a virus that is not? So there was a lot of finance, you know, a lot of financial shenanigans, money changing hands, and hospitals were financially incentivized. So on a policy level, 
it, it's our federal government and it was our hospitals that were corrupted. And on the individual level, there was medical kidnapping going on. Yep. The individual hospitals were literally not allowing family members to take their loved ones out of the hospital. I have a question for you because you were in the hospitals yes. in 2020. When would you have ever believed in your lifetime that a wife would be prevented from seeing her husband until they put him on the ventilator? Every time, and I, I heard from from dozens and dozens and dozens of people saying that they were texting with their husbands and the husband would even text the wife and say, I think they're trying to kill me. And then she would not be able to be permitted to see him until after they were put on the vent. And of course, at that point, you can't, it's almost next to impossible to get someone off the vent with the amount of drugs that they were giving to these people. There were so many stories of patients who affirmatively said, I don't want remdesivir, who were then put on a ventilator and given remdesivir. So in any normal time of, of my lifetime as a doctor, this would have been massive malpractice. It would have been more than regular malpractice. It would have been gross negligence. And you could have been arrested for assault and you should have gone to prison well, or jail. And, and at that time, a verbal, a verbal yeah. uh, you know, command right, to your nurse, your doctor would have been enough. Not with these protocols that were put into place under... Really, right. I mean, so I want to I want to comment on how easy this was to slip into totalitarianism. Mm-hmm. It didn't happen exactly overnight. It happened very fast, but not overnight. There were intermediary steps. So I'm working in the ER, and then all of a sudden we hear we're not allowed to let relatives in. We're like, what do you mean you can't let a relative in? And I had a, a very tragic story where somebody died, nothing related to COVID. She had a massive stroke, but she'd been married for 52 years, and her family was in the waiting room. So there's a husband of 52 years and her adult children, a couple grandkids, and we were not allowed to let the family in. And I said, what is, what is this? This is insanity. So we allowed policies that were obviously corrupt, where you couldn't let a family member in, which then led to six months and one year later of hospitals actually assaulting and killing patients. And yeah. it is an assault. If you do something to a patient that a patient doesn't want, that is assault and battery. Yeah. So um, I'm very glad to hear about this protest. And what I can tell people is, you know, I personally would not go to a hospital I would think of going to hospital is not that different from checking myself into a morgue. I'm not saying you should never, ever, ever go, but I'm saying you need to take steps in your life now to make sure you really don't ever need a hospital. I think that they're corrupt beyond repair. Well, and you know, when I talked to Dr. Lee Merritt about this months ago, she said, because so many people ask the question, well, what, how, how can this happen? And now that we know it's killing people, let's get it out. Well, it's the, these things had been put in there. I mean, up to a decade ago, the CARES Act, the Cures Act, the yes. PrEP Act. Yes. These are things that we need to ha- we need to have them change. They have to be completely revamped. And I- I'm pretty sure most of these were those ones where we saw. Remember seeing the uh, people in the Senate just carting those bills that were <laughs> so high it was ridiculous. They were on like those huge carts, orange carts. I mean, nobody could have read all of that stuff. No, and it's and it's also just follow the money. You know, Medicare incentives were were good if you use mm-hmm. remdesivir. So I don't know that you know. In our lifetime, we'll ever be able to change the financial incentives and the lobbying, et cetera. But I'm urging people to take steps in their own life so that they really never end up in a hospital. I mean, that was one of the things I really worked on. And I do think a lot of Americans have woken up and are looking to solutions so that I, I, and I will also share kind of a dirty little secret about the industry. Very, very few people actually need to go to the hospital. Many fewer than do actually go. So we have really made kind of a medical industrial complex Mm -hmm. that financially incentivizes people to get testing and treatment. And for example, Medicare, which people have paid into all their life and they want to use, you know, if you're Medicare age and you've got Medicare coverage, they'll, they'll do any procedure you, you want or think you might want or that the doctor wants because it's all covered. So, you know, you need to get advice and you need to be informed so that you stay out of the clutches of the medical industrial complex. And then when you do have a problem, you need good advice so that you can navigate the system um, without being given advice by people who are financially incentivized to do something that may not be in your interest. I'd love, could you just share with everybody for, especially those who might be brand new to the show, brand new to, uh, you know, your walk, take us back in time, the things that you were telling people to take, to stay healthy, because now we're getting into the fall and winter. And so what does everybody need to have in their medicine cabinet so that when they have trouble breathing, they don't panic, but they have a solution? Okay. Thank you so much for the question. It is near and dear to my heart. I really feel like a physician above all. Um, First of all, in general, you should always aim to be at approximately normal body weight. 
one of the big lies of COVID that they didn't share with you was that being overweight or being obese was a huge risk factor. Another huge risk factor in the COVID years was your sugar level. So if you had diabetes, for example, that wasn't the huge problem as much as controlling your sugar level during the COVID experience. If your sugars were high and you had SARS-2, you did much worse. Another thing they didn't tell you was vitamin D. Good old-fashioned sunshine is very, very helpful. Most of the people that were in the ICU during for COVID had low vitamin D levels. So all of those things are are available to you for free. You're not getting paid. Uh, no, no pharmaceutical company is going to get any incentive. Again, try to have be normal body weight. I understand that you know that's something we all struggle with in America. Get a little sunshine every day if you can. Um, absolutely, you need to stay focused that you shouldn't have high glucose sugar levels. Now, separate from that, I believe everyone should have hydroxychloroquine in their home. It's an excellent medicine for SARS and other things, and also ivermectin. Quite frankly, these drugs are over the counter in much of the world, and they are on the who's list of essential medications that all nations should have on hand at all times. We know that these are fantastic drugs. So, uh, you know, one of the things that we did, America's Frontline Doctors did, is we publicized this, we put that out there, and then we pointed people to various telemedicine platforms where people could obtain these medications. And I just want to put a shout out again for, this is a separate interest. It's not part of America's Frontline Doctors, but I launched Gold Care for just this purpose so that people could get accurate information and people could get access to the medications that they need. If you don't feel like seeing a doctor and you want to get things over the counter, quercetin spelled with a Q is very, very helpful. And we have a lot of resources on America's Frontline Doctors that can give you better, you know, more complete advice. And I'd love to say too that Henry Ford Hospital in Michigan, which of course, Detroit, Michigan was hit very hard by this virus in 2020, but they conducted a study of about thousand patients. And this was published uh, in July of 2020. I think it was right Right around July, the Friday before July 4th. And it was right around the time that you guys did your white coat summit. However, 30 days after that was published, the FDA came out and said, no hospitals are allowed to prescribe that anymore because it's, we almost forget that there were hospitals during that time that were treating people effectively with intravenous vitamin D, vitamin C, high dosages to, to help them. It was normal. This came later once the study came out proving its effectiveness. The Henry Ford study was a really important study. I don't have the facts at my fingertips. My recollection was that it cut, using hydroxychloroquine cut mortality 50%, and that was in hospitalized patients. The mechanism of action of hydroxychloroquine in SARS-2 is that it has a modest effect late. So hospitalized patients are late. It has a very strong, fantastic effect if you take it early. So the fact that it cut mortality 50% in hospitalized patients was extraordinary news. They tried very hard to bury the story. My recollection is that it came out the Friday before July 4th, so it really didn't make the news. But the, the the punishment that came to the hospital and to scientists that were speaking this was fast and furious. You, you know, Dr. Eric Naputi, the mm-hmm. F, uh, was it the F, the, the FTC, Federal Trade Commission, I think came after him to the tune of billions of yeah. dollars. It was some crazy thing because he was advocating for vitamin D. Of course, they came after me, et cetera. So it's hard, you know, when you're home, you're like, what do I believe? What do I listen to? I think don't listen to sources that are being paid. Right. right. They're being paid to have a certain agenda. So, you know, the government had a certain agenda. America's Frontline Doctors is and, and the Gold Report is sponsored and paid for by by people or yeah. people like yourself. Mm-hmm. So we have no agenda other than, you know, we work for you. Well, we just want to get people the truth so that they can protect themselves and their families. I think it's important to note as well that the financial incentives that that hospitals have to pr- to give people these very expensive drugs like remdesivir that are are deadly instead of just treating them with hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin to give an example and this is coming from an interview that I had with lawyers out of California who were suing three hospitals out of California but they said that hospitals would get over ha- over $600,000 per person who they were able to get in the door with a positive COVID test and all the way to the morgue. From every time there's a checkpoint, once you test positive for COVID, the hospital gets another lump sum of money. Once they're tested positive for COVID, if they get onto the protocol, that's another lump sum of money. If they get onto a ventilator, they get paid more money. Every step along the way, 
these hospitals are incentivized to keep people in the hospital and never coming out. So here's here's why the government really should not be in, for example, the healthcare business. So it's just so much more complicated than it appears on the surface. There are positive, proper reasons why a hospital should be paid more money if a person needs a ventilator, right? If you're really sick and bad case, you, you need a ventilator, you need good nursing care, lots of IVs, the ICU, that's appropriate that you should make more money. But what can also happen is you're being incentivized to keep people sick or to make them look more sick or to actually make make them more sick. And this kinds of decision being decided, you know, in Washington, D.C., thousands and thousands of miles away from the hospitals that's actually receiving the cash is a huge problem. Because prior to COVID, I really didn't see this. I, I, I wouldn't have said that hospitals were doing terrible things to patients for money. I would have said, yeah, they're doing too much testing. And you know, it was kind of at the margins. It was maybe not harmful. Maybe it's just extraneous. But during COVID, I definitely absolutely saw people being hospitalized and given more treatment than they should be given because there were financial incentives in place to do that. The only way I think around that is for you to have control over you, how your dollars are being spent on your health care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And and on this note, we, I was going to save this for the question and answer portion, but since we're kind of talking about all of these treatments, a lot of people have been asking, they've submitted questions. And by the way, if you would like to get your questions answered by Dr. Gold, please go to thegoldreport.com. We have a form you can fill out. We want to answer your questions. So we'll be answering questions every single week on this show. But a question that I think a lot of people have is Dr. Gold if they have a prescription medication such as hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin and it's expired, is it still safe to take? Mm-hmm. And what is what is the reasoning of why we're thought, we're conditioned to think we have to get rid of our medications, you know, or like we could die if we take them and it's one day past expiration? Oh my gosh, I love this question because we're going to give you some practical advice and you're going to see that this is uh, maybe the opposite of anyone's financial interest. That's how you know it's the truth. So um, I always found the idea of a, like these expiration dates on meds, absolutely perplexing. It's 100% false. It's 100% not true. The way I know this for certain is we would, mission trips, we collect expired medication. We bring them to mission trips in other nations. So where did this come from? It, I don't know if it came from the pharmaceuticals trying to sell more or if it came from a, you know lawyers being nervous about liability. But the fact that a prescription medication has expired does not make it dangerous in any way, shape, or form. Over time, a small amount of the active ingredients could degrade. And I'm talking a very small amount over a period of time. Every medicine would be different. But I absolutely have used expired medications. It's absolutely irrelevant to me if they've expired even a year ago, two years ago. Again, if you're on a if you have a medical situation that requires very precise dosing, I an example I could think of is lithium. Lithium has to be like kind of has a very narrow therapeutic range, right? So you'd want to make sure that you're right there. People, of course, get their lithium levels checked, but it's that's a narrow therapeutic range. I, I, digoxin, which is more of an old-fashioned drug, also is a pretty narrow therapeutic range. Coumadin, a blood thinner, kind of a narrow therapeutic range. So I might be more cautious with things like that. But the vast majority of medications you you have in your cabinet mildly degrades over like a five or ten year period. That's amazing. It's and it's so it's not dangerous. Mm-hmm. So it's you know it's that's good to point out because a lot of people, especially oh, those that are saying. I want to stock up on some of this stuff. I want Correct. to make sure we and, have. And, I, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I, I think the question probably came in because ivermectin is actually inherently kind of expensive. Hydroxychloroquine is not, but ivermectin is. And so you know, if you've just spent $100 on an ivermectin prescription last year because you were scared, I'm here to tell you, you're good. You're good. Was it always expensive? Or yeah, you... no, it's inherently a bit okay. more expensive than some drugs are just inherently a bit more you know, cheaper than other, other drugs. All right. Well, Dr. Gold, it's time for us to unveil our number three of our fender on our deadly disinformation dozen list. But before we do that, a quick message on how you can defund the corrupt medical insurance industry. Gold Care is a doctor in your pocket. Not just any doctor, but a doctor you can actually trust. We are the replacement for the current broken healthcare system. How does it work? First, you join our private membership association which keeps the government out of your business. Then you can schedule with a provider of your choice and meet through our proprietary telehealth platform. 
You can schedule a visit pretty much whenever you want and you can access your chart on demand. That's it. Your provider has no conflict of interest. The doctor-patient relationship is their only priority. There is no profit motive to stay sick or drug dependent or do lots of testing. We work to get you well and get you off prescription medications whenever that is possible. You pay a monthly membership, which includes one doctor visit per month, lots of wellness classes, a newsletter, and a library of information. Additional physician time is available. All costs are upfront and transparent, as it should be. If you are a person who wants to have a doctor in your pocket whom you can trust to work towards your best health, join GoldCare. If you're a business owner and you want to spend only about half of what you're currently spending on so-called health insurance, but still be financially protected, join GoldCare. If you want to actually do something to fight socialism, join GoldCare. Because you cannot be both in favor of freedom, but continue to pay premiums to fund the so-called health insurance system. This is how we change the system. Do something for yourself, your family, and your nation. Join Gold Care today and put a doctor in your pocket. The White House pointed to an aggressive online misinformation effort by a handful of bad actors. Misinformation on social media is killing people. The Department of uh, Homeland Security is setting up a disinformation governance board to tackle misinformation. Why is President Biden telling people still that the vaccinated cannot spread COVID? Look at himself. Look in the mirror. Think about that misinformation. How about making sure that you're vaccinated so you do not spread the disease to anybody else? And a range of disinfo out there about a range of topics, I mean, including COVID. No, I don't think it should be mandatory. I wouldn't demand to be mandatory, but I would do everything in my power. Just like I don't think masks have to be made mandatory nationwide. I'm going to be signing here is relates to uh, um, COVID. It's requiring, as I said all along, um, where, where I have authority, mandating masks be worn, social distancing be kept on federal property and interstate commerce, etc. You know, watching that, you know, what that makes me think of was when Ronald Reagan said, what are the scariest words you can hear? Someone knocking at your door saying, hi, I'm here from the government. I'm, I'm here to help you. Incredible. <laughs> that scary. reminds yes, me of. Yes. Yeah. Uh, just be cautious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's humorous. Um, but anyway, thank you so much for joining us today on The Gold Report. As we like to say, there's only one set of facts. True today. True tomorrow. And remember to like, share, subscribe. We'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us.